It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Michael Gunger once said, Burnout is what happens when you try to avoid being human for too long. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Julie, sitting in for Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime at ChristianQuestions.com or our social media channels. Download some after-episode extras, such as our thorough Seeker Rewind show notes and our bonus Bible study questions, available on our individual episode pages. And look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Julie, you're sitting in for Jonathan. He's not available this week. What's the subject? Well, this is a hot one, Rick. Okay. (laughs) This is called How Do I Avoid Burnout? And this is part one of a two-part series. And our theme scripture is? Job 10.1. It says, My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. Boy, that sounds just plain old depressing. You know, it is a common saying that the two things you can count on in life are death and taxes. While that might be true, there are other things lurking in the background of the lives of more and more people every day. Burnout. With all of the overstimulation a technology-based society produces, we are set up for burnout. With what seems like ever-increasing job demands, we're set up for burnout. With personal communications being instant, always available, and on multiple platforms, we feel we need to respond instantly as well. This sets us up for, you guessed it, burnout. And this is just what applies to the average go-to-work-and-make-a-living person. Medical professionals, first responders, military men and women, all set up for burnout. Folks, this is serious. What can we as Christians do to recognize, respond to, and relieve this dangerous pattern in our lives and in the lives of others? So coming up in today's podcast, you probably know someone who is burned out, and maybe it's you. So what do you do? In our first two segments, we will not only define three different types of burnout, we will also be chatting with a medical professional who has in her career been surrounded by it. When a friend of ours is experiencing burnout, what do we do to help? Could we end up being a well-meaning friend who makes things worse? Segments three and four highlight a Bible character who had that exact problem, and boy, did his well-meaning friends make it worse. So what do you do? How do you understand burnout, and how do you cope? Folks, stay with us for segment five, as we will put all of that in order. So Julie, once again, sitting in for Jonathan. Let's get us started on what we're doing here and how we're doing it. Well, you know, we always ask for our listeners uh, to give us ideas on what might be a good uh, topic for a podcast. And by the way, our listeners can do that by sending us an email at inspiration at christianquestions.com, inspiration at christianquestions.com. And uh, we always ask our personal friends and family the same question. What would you like to hear? What can we talk about? And I have a lifelong friend named Hannah, and Hannah is in the medical field and has more letters behind her name than I can even spell. 
Um, and uh, I'd asked her, hey, what do you think Christian questions? What would you like to hear? And she says, well, why don't you do a program on burnout? And I said, uh-huh. I don't know what that is. <laughs> what is burnout? And uh, I came to learn an awful lot about it. And I'll give you a basic definition just to get us started. It's the state of physical or emotional exhaustion from ongoing stress. And so I will introduce my friend Hannah and ask her if you could just give us a little bit of your background as a healthcare professional and as a fellow Christian. And why was this topic important to you? Well, thanks for having me on. This is a wonderful opportunity. So um, as a medical professional, you know, I've been a bedside nurse for 15 years. I've worked in emergency departments um, in multiple states in large urban academic medical centers. So, you know, I'm constantly surrounded by a lot going on, a lot of stress. You know, these are definitely things that are part of my job. And as a Christian, you know, I was raised as a Christian. I grew up going to, you know, to church on Sunday and to Bible camps. And in my adulthood, I came to better appreciate uh, my relationship with God and Jesus' sacrifice and, you know, the Bible as the word of God. And these things really kind of opened my heart to, to, you know, being a Christian, trying to let my light shine in my work as well as my worship. So why did I suggest this topic? Well, Burnout is universal. It's everywhere. It's not just in healthcare, but it's all around us. So with the increasing connectivity and the increasing fast pace of life, you know, and the demand to keep up and stay connected, a lot of people are finding this to be unsustainable. And the result is personal and professional burnout. And as we'll talk about a little later, you know, I've, I've experienced some burnout myself. And that's why I brought up this topic. Boy, that word unsustainable really is something that, you know, struck me when you said that. Um, you know, Rick, when, when, when Hannah and I were talking about this, we came up with really three different definitions of burnout or three different aspects of it. Okay. And if, if it's okay, let me tell you what those are. And then I'm going to have Hannah start us off with the first one. Um, so the first one is in the medical industry. And I think this is where this term first was heard uh, and it's first become like coined as a phrase. Um, and the second one that we'll talk about really more as part two of this program is for the average person. And that's more chronic workplace stress that hasn't been managed and it's got exhaustion and reduced effectiveness and negative or disconnected feelings about your job. Um, so that's, that's one thing. But let's, let's start with where I think it first started with medical and then, Rick, you can talk about what the third one actually is. Okay. Spiritual burnout. Yeah. All right. Good. So, you know, one thing that we're discovering in, in, you know, healthcare is this concept of what they call compassion fatigue. And so this is a combination of two things. It's a combination of burnout and it's a combination of secondary traumatic stress. So I'll start with burnout, the first component. So burnout is in the medical field. It's also in the ordinary workplace. And burnout really has three components. This is your emotional exhaustion. So emotional exhaustion is when you feel like your resources are depleted, when you feel like you're no longer able to give of yourself to your job. So emotional exhaustion. The second component is the sense of depersonalization. You get some negative, cynical attitudes that come into your thinking every day. And the third component of burnout is this reduced personal accomplishment. This is your reduced productivity, that you're unable to really perform as you would want to. 
So burnout has these three characteristics, emotional exhaustion, negative cynical attitudes, and decreased productivity. But now we bring this into the medical field, into compassion fatigue. So there is this element of burnout, those three things. But on top of this, there is also this idea of secondary traumatic stress. And this is what happens when people in the medical field are constantly witnessing trauma and pain and the suffering of others. So you kind of combine both of these and the result is that there is, they found an, a lack of empathy and a decreased ability for healthcare providers to nurture and to provide the care that they optimally would like to do. So, so, so that, let, let me just, just interject something because see, that's a, that's, a, that's a fascinating thing because when somebody like me needs somebody like you, that's what we're looking for. When, in, in our deepest, hardest experience, we want somebody to kind of put that emotional arm around us while they're helping us and say, it's going to be okay, or here's what we're doing. And so what you're saying is the burnout takes that ability and, and diminishes it. Absolutely, yes. And it's definitely something that, you know, anyone can feel in the medical profession, you know, from first responders to nurses to doctors. And it's this sort of just cumulative progressive process that really distances themselves from the people that they would like to provide care for. So is this, you know, everyone experiences stress. When is it stress and when is it burnout? So, you know, the difficult thing is that there's no real clear-cut diagnostic criteria. You can feel a little bit, you can feel a lot of this. And the point is, you know, when it starts to become manifest and become a problem, that's when it really becomes overwhelming, when it starts to affect your patient care relationships. Um, but again, it can start very small, you know, and it can build. And those are things that definitely can affect the way that you, that you perform on the job. And, you know, I had read in, you know, in studying a little bit about this, I had read um, a phrase called moral injury. Can you explain what moral injury is? Yeah. So moral injury is another concept as well. Um, this was originally used to describe soldiers who were coming back from war. They were very distressed as a result of the acts that they needed to commit as part of war. But now they're finding that they're using this term to describe that mental and moral agony that comes from a compromised outcome or a double bind or a no-win situation. Uh, specifically in, in the medical field, you know, we are trained to give of ourselves. We're trained to give the best care. And in fact, we take oaths in nursing and in medicine upon graduation that we will do the best that we can for our patients. But then you meet the real world. Hmm. And a lot of times the healthcare system is driven on productivity and compliance and reimbursement, these sorts of things. And what happens is you find that you are unable to meet your own moral and professional standards. And really, this is kind of the intersection where the care of the patient meets the business of healthcare, and you feel like you are compromised in your actions. Man, that that's a that's a tough intersection to have to live at, and and really, with a medical professional, that's where you live. You live at that intersection, and you have to figure out how to to make all of those things that sometimes contradict one another actually work together. All right, so Julie, we've got a a strong background on what medical burnout looks like at, at this point. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, that we've kind of appropriated that into the business world, and it's become a situation where you've got this chronic stress. And, you know, we've talked about stress before in, in, on this program, um, but it's, it's, I think, 
it's a little more than that. It's, it couldn't be as much as you can't, really can't get out of bed in the morning because it's just, there's too much facing you. And from a business perspective, you're facing similar management that's telling you to do one thing, but you're doing other things for your clients. And perhaps something that just came to mind is that, that Wells Fargo thing that we've all heard about in the news. Remember where the Wells Fargo executives right. were telling them you've got to open up all these checking accounts and you right. know these false accounts for people because you need to show that your numbers are up. Well, that that is a moral illness or a moral injury because that is something that can really you know cause it. It's kind of a no way out. Um, but you, now we're hearing this thing called this third kind of burnout, a spiritual burnout. And yeah. I thought maybe you'd like to talk about that just briefly. Yeah, and, and we're going to kind of just define it at this point, and we'll get into this during the podcast as well as in part two coming up next week. So look, with spiritual burnout, whatever factors lead to spiritual disconnection, doubt and lack of peace or, and passion, especially for those who are in the ministry. Uh, this can come from working too hard, spreading too thin, you know, trying to work in God's service and, and essentially wear wearing yourself out beyond what you're, you're capable of, or being so distracted by the cares of life that we get too far away from godliness. Um, so for the average believer, spiritual burnout is a weariness in the Christian walk when coldness has set in and God seems far off. Key word there is seems. God seems far off, and we'll, we'll examine that a little further. So burnout, the whole point here is burnout is in every aspect of life. So, Julie, we've got a series of sound bites we're going to use and tell a story. Give us the background before we get into the first one. Okay, so there's a very popular uh, columnist in the Chicago Tribune named John Cass, and in May 9th, 2019, he wrote a very profound article dealing with uh, first responders in Chicago, and it's called Paramedic on Abandoned Newborn Baby Found in Alley, quote, death wanted him, but on this day, God said no, end quote. And we're going to go ahead and play parts of this throughout this entire podcast. And wow, it's, it's, it's really profound. Okay, so let's get started with that story. The river of violence that flows through Chicago takes not only the dead and the hearts of their loved ones, but it also takes something from those who witness the death day after day. The paramedics and the patrol officers, the detectives, the ER nurses, and the doctors. But not the other day, in a Norwegian-American hospital in the ER, with a baby found abandoned in an alley on top of a garbage can, clinging to life and a crowd around the baby begging that little boy to keep fighting and live. Death grabs at their souls too and tries to break them. Uh, that's pretty dramatic. Whenever you're talking about an abandoned child, everybody has that sense of, of, of just wanting to be helpful. And here you have this abandoned child who is literally just barely able to cling to life. So we're using that story as a backdrop as we go through this whole scenario on what burnout is and how it works. So, you know, burnout is more complicated than we'd like to think. Problems always have more to them than meets the eye. Burnout is a broad topic. Well, where can we begin our understanding process so we can learn to cope? Personal Bible study is so rewarding. 
So many of our listeners have asked if we could provide an online Bible study course. We're happy to announce a new library of thoughtful questions based on each episode's CQ Rewind show notes. Each study is a compact single page of thought-provoking questions with scripture references and more. These are perfect for your individual study or small groups. Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on Bible Study in the main menu to get started. What's next in our audio study, Rick? Experts blame a dysfunctional healthcare system for the distress many experience in the industry. Left unchecked, burnout can lead to depression, anxiety, insomnia, obesity, alcohol and drug abuse, and even suicide. Patients experience decreased quality of care and an increase in medical errors. Clearly, the implications are very, very far-reaching. So, uh, Hannah, you know, your, your story now com- becomes important. You, you talked about kind of the background of things and how things all work. Um, where, where are you coming from with your, your own experiences? Maybe we get started with you looking at uh, summarizing some of the key points of signs and symptoms of burnout, and then we want to hear about your own experience. Absolutely. So, yeah, you know, signs and symptoms, you know, how do you know if you're burned out or not? You know, there's, I'm just going to say a few things. And if these things apply to you, then, you know, there is a chance that you may be dealing with burnout. So, for example, do you feel emotionally drained at work or used up by the end of the workday? Are you feeling fatigued in the morning at the thought of having to face another day on the job? Do you feel frustrated by your job or feel that you're working too hard? Have you become more callous towards people since you took your job? Or have you been feeling that this job is hardening you emotionally? Or do you not really care what happens to some recipients of what you're doing at your work? And these are all things that if you could say that you agree with any of these statements, then there may be an element of burnout that you should be considering is affecting your job. So can can I just interrupt something, you know, for those that aren't working, perhaps those are retired. And I know this is a, it's way off topic, but caregiving and burnout and caregiving, which is going to be a whole nother podcast. But I think if you substituted the words, I feel frustrated at my caregiving, or Hmm. I'm working too hard Hmm. at this, or this job is hard, this caregiving is hardening me emotionally. I think it just applies to a, a lot of different people. So be be listening to that as well, those of us who maybe aren't working anymore, but are dealing with caring for someone, even if you're not a medical professional. Yeah, absolutely. And I use the term job very loosely. It is whatever occupies your time at this point. You know, the word job, it can be formal, but if it is something caregiving for another or some other activity that you're engaged with, you know, that seems to be draining you, then obviously this would apply as well. So, so really, this comes down to we need to look in the mirror and say, okay, how am I doing with what I'm doing? How is it affecting me? And then, therefore, how am I affecting others? And so these are, these are really important, and on the podcast, we like to call them mirror questions, questions that you have to ask yourself to really figure out where you are. And, and the good news is, you know, Hannah, you're here with us. Uh, you've gone through burnout yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, so... Tell us, tell us, um, well, actually, before, before we go into your story, though, let's go back to the other story. Let's go back to the story about the, uh, the abandoned child uh, from that uh, article that Julie had described and see what happens next as they t- give us the introduction of, okay, there's this abandoned child, now what? 
Chicago Fire Department paramedics and firefighters and Chicago police detectives and officers formed a second ring around the infant. Tough men and women yelling, fight kid, fight, and offering advice and biting their lips and bargaining with God. The baby was such a fighter, and these are tough people too, they are fighters, said the doctor who led the resuscitation unit. And I told them, as soon as the baby moved, open-eyed, turning pink, I asked them, come and see, you did a good job, guys. And they have tears, you know, tears. They cried, men and women who have seen too much, and everything they've seen brutalizes them. The indifference, the brutality, the rage. They just don't talk about it. Yes, it bothers them, the doctor said. And as they cried, and we all did, and prayed, and I told them, continue saving people. It's all so emotional, you know. I won't forget their faces around the baby, the way these tough guys and women were sobbing, the tears coming, the baby moving. It was a feeling like we really did something together. We really did. And he's a very lucky little boy. You know, the description of that is 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 really intense because I've been married to a, a firefighter, first responder for several decades. And I'll ask him after he's seen absolutely horrific, horrific things that no one should ever see. How do you do it? And he his reply is he pictures everything as it's a movie set. He has to tell himself this is not real. That blood is fake that, you know, that severed head is not real, that's all made of plastic, whatever. And that's how he gets through seeing these kind of things. So these firefighters and first responders, they are hardened. There is a callousness to them. So for them to see this and this is what breaks them, that is, it's, it's a huge thing. They don't break easily. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is a great example of, you know, when you just, it's okay to feel feelings on the job. You know, when we talk about burnout, I think there is this stigma of, you know, you have to be strong and you have to be resourceful and you need to not be vulnerable. And, you know, I love that this story is an example of it's okay to rely on your friends. It's okay to open up and it's okay to feel feelings. So, Hannah... Tell us your own experience then. Where, yeah. What happened in your experience? Because it sounds like you've got your head around this whole thing, but uh, <laughs> how did you get to this point? Where, what, what's the background? Yeah. So for my own personal story, you know, I was dealing with a lot of burnout at work and it was kind of punctuated by these moments of, of secondary traumatic stress, which we'll talk about. But, um, you know, as far as my, you know, burning out at work, you know, I love being a nurse. You know, when I became a nurse, it was my dream job. And, you know, I thought, oh, this is just the greatest job. You know, I'm just going to, every day is going to be amazing at work. And, you know, it was for a good, you know, 10 years, it was a very, very steady, solid job. And, you know, I really felt like I was very engaged in my job, but, you know, it kind of started innocently enough for me is that, you know, I would go to work and I'd I'd see kind of problems that were, you know, not addressed and better ways that we could take care of patients. And and I would bring them to management and say, you know, these are ways that we can, we can really improve here. And it was just kind of met with some radio silence. And so, you know, I try again and, you know, bring up different issues and say, you know, we can work on stuff. And, you know, it was, you know, radio silence or it was dismissed or it was like, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. And, you know, my passion slowly turned into frustration 
and slowly turned into disengagement until one year, you know, one time, five years later from that, I really just found myself going to work and putting in the absolute bare minimum every day that I needed to do to get through the day. And, you know, I realized I was like, I have a problem here. You know, we are taught that whatever we find with our hands to do, we're supposed to do with all of our might and we're supposed to work as unto the Lord. And, you know, I looked at my own performance and I would have given myself a complete F, you know. So, I mean, I was never on safe and patient care, but I just was not connecting with people the way that I should be and the way that they deserve to be connected with. So, you know, again, I think a big part for me was actually not being in denial, but saying, you know, I'm doing a really bad job at work. I am burned out. And that was really the first step to kind of addressing it and, and taking it to the Lord. So with all that burnout, also, you know, my, my last couple of years were kind of uh, accentuated with many different instances of, of secondary traumatic stress and really traumatic um, examples at work. You know, I do work, I, I worked in, in the inner city of Chicago, not at this particular hospital where a soundbite is coming from, but, um, you know, definitely you do see that there is a different hardness and a lot of loss going on uh, in downtown Chicago. Um, one of a particularly traumatic incident that I had had was when we had a, a teenager suddenly collapse on the basketball court. Um, you know, you've heard of these kind of arrhythmias that happen and it was so sudden. But, you know, the thing is, everyone did everything right. The coaches, the bystanders, the EMS, you know, the ER staff, we did everything right that we needed to do but it just wasn't enough. And there is nothing worse than having to tell parents that it's time to stop. We have done everything that we can and there's no bringing him back. And, you know, handing the parents his jersey and his belongings is like the worst feeling ever. And the worst thing is that that really stays with you. And when you go through those traumatic experiences and you start to see, you know, other youngsters maybe that are in your life, you flash back to that moment where you're in that moment and you're, you know, you're, you've lost the patient, you've lost a little bit of confidence in yourself, and you just kind of relive that every day. So these are things, you know, my story is not unique. There are many nurses and first responders all over the entire country going through this, you know, shades of burnout with their management punctuated by traumatic stress incidences. And all of this together brings you to a point where you say, you know, am I really cut out to do this? Is this what I should be doing with my life? Wow. That is, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's just too much. It's just too much. Um, I just had a question. So what would happen? Like, do you have physical effects because of this burnout? Do you, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. Is it you heart issues? Like what, how do we, how do we help you? How do we help you first of all, <laughs> as your friend going through this, but, but what happens to you physically? So, you know, for me, it was just something, you know, I, I just kind of relive the moment, you know, quietly, you know, when I'm by myself, but you know, there are a range of different physical symptoms that anyone can feel, you know, fatigue, forgetfulness, isolation, apathy, and physical symptoms as well, difficulty breathing, rapid heart rates, insomnia, headaches. Those are all different things that people can speak, can feel. It is unfortunately a spectrum. There is no one particular symptom that you will feel that says I am burned out. Okay. Um, so, 
As friends, I encourage people to just stay vigilant, to be watchful for changes in behavior. And it's okay to ask, you know, are you okay? You know, because it's interesting, I've seen you every Sunday pretty much for, you know, years and years and years. And until you brought up this subject, I never knew that this was something that you were going through because I knew that you loved your job. I knew that you were an amazing nurse. I knew that if anyone had any medical issues, everyone says, go get Hannah and (laughs) that you would know exactly what to do. And, you know, Rick, Hannah and I were even, we were in uh, Israel together on a, a trip for our church and someone Someone went down the very first day, like we had just landed and they had a, a problem and we're all off, you know, seeing the holy sites and Hannah sitting in the hospital, you know, <laughs> t- t- talking with the Israeli doctors and getting our, you know, our friends situated. And she missed like the first two days because that's Hannah, you know, well, Hannah's there to help. Y- you know, and just, just one other thing very quickly is at, at, a, at a Bible convention, I don't know if you remember this, Hannah, but several years ago, my wife had a medical issue. And what did I do? I said, stay right there. And I went and I ran and I found Hannah and I said, I need you now. So (laughs) So while we were doing that to her, all this other stuff was going on at work and we're not helping, you know, we didn't know. For me, you know, and again, my friends and my worship, that is my outlet. That is my home base, which I go to. So, um, you know, I find it, it's refreshing. It brings me back to who I am, you know, as a person, despite all of these difficulties, maybe at work, when I'm out of work, being with you guys helps me to check those things. It helps me to prevent from bringing those negative experiences into my personal life, into my family life. And so that's something that I found that helps to cope really well is just to spend time with like-minded Christians, you know, who have hope and who have a solid foundation to kind of keep those other things at bay and in their proper place. So we are your reset button. Totally. All right. Aww. Well, you know, and that's important. And, and folks, that's a, that's the a beginning. We're, we're going to be developing this in a much, much bigger way. But uh, Hannah, thank you for being uh, vulnerable enough to share your story because it's important for us those of us who are not in, in, in a situation like you to to understand what you go through and how real this is and how serious it is. And we want to be uh, vigilant, like like Julie said, to be able to to help to others to manage their circumstances. Hearing from someone who knows is comforting. Now let's focus on finding and using solutions. Okay, so we now know what burnout is and what it does. How do we recognize its presence in our lives? Are you just getting started in your Bible studying? Or are you a weekly listener looking for more after the podcast? Go to ChristianQuestions.com, then click on the Bible study tab to see our concise companion Bible study questions. For the average person, burnout can be predictable. When life falls apart due to illness or tragedy or some external circumstance, it can creep up on us and hit us hard. We find ourselves needing to cope with very unexpected experiences that require massive effort. And it is here that burnout waits. And so what we want to do now, we've got Hannah's story and her backdrop in terms of what it looks like 
on a scale for somebody who's dealing with trauma for a living. Uh, we're going to go to a soundbite, another soundbite from Death Wanted Him, that article about this this baby who had been abandoned and was 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 within inches of dying, and and the rallying of those around that that infant to to help to bring that child back. And then we're going to get into some really practical examples. So let's go back to the story uh, about this abandoned infant. The newborn was found Tuesday afternoon abandoned on a dumpster in the Hermosa neighborhood on the northwest side of Chicago. A mother and her daughter brought the infant to the nearby firehouse. It's a good thing they made the right decision and brought the baby to the firehouse, said paramedic fire chief Patrick Fitzmorris. It was rush hour. They wouldn't have made it to the hospital in time. When the baby arrived, firefighters scrambled, administering CPR, trying to warm the infant and coordinating with police to make sure an ambulance could get through the traffic. And at the hospital, Fitzmorris bargained with God and prayed like so many others before him. You know, that idea of bargaining with God is a, is a, is a really big deal. And oftentimes we find ourselves doing that because we don't know what else to do. So, Hannah, you know, as we go through the idea of burnout, talk to us about the effects of resilience in terms of, of managing and eventually being able to potentially overcome burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so resilience is a very interesting concept. It is, for a definition, it is basically an individual's capacity. It is the combination of their strengths and resources that allow them to bounce back and thrive during stressful situations. You know, in the Bible, the word used mostly is perseverance or endurance, and these are linked to resiliency as well. Um one hallmark of resilience is that it's linked with increased hope and that it also is a healthy balance between the positive and negative aspects of life. You know, we'll always have, you know, good experiences and bad experiences and resilience is that ability to balance both of those um, as well. Yeah. Okay. So this idea of resilience an individual's capacity, it's a terrific definition because it's easy to remember. Um, we're going to look at that and see how does that work and what can actually short circuit that from working. And Job in the Old Testament, the individual Job, everybody's heard of Job, is a great example of the resilience process. We're going to take a look at that. Julie, let's go to James 5, 10, and 11 to kind of set a, a, a groundwork for the story of Job. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So, and again, folks, uh, if you're just joining us, Julie is sitting in for Jonathan. He is uh, away uh, for this week. And so um, as we, we look at that, we often assume that the endurance spoken of here, you know, it talks about the endurance of Job. We often think about that as bulletproof. Uh, a no wavering approach to the trials of life. I will not give an inch. It will not affect me. I will plow through it and everything bounces off. Usually that's not the case. And it's <laughs> <laughs> Usually? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And it certainly was not the path that Job took. And a lot of times we think of Job and we think, you know, he was perfect in his dealing with his issues. Well, 
we're going to see a whole different story. So, Julie, let's let's begin to go through the story of Job. We're not going to do it in great detail. And and I have to, folks, I have to admit that Julie has been hammering me since we've been doing this to say, okay, Rick, we got to do a full two part podcast on Job because there's so much to talk about. So that will be coming up sometime in the future. But for now. But for now, sort of the summation, what did Job stand for? Well, you know, Job was righteous, and his life reflected what he believed in. And he was apparently pretty well known to be a very, very good and very kind man. Okay, and we know that from the beginning of the book of Job, Job chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. You know, and that's an important line. He was well-renowned for not only his physical wealth, but for his character, as, as uh, we, will, we will begin to see as we unfold this story. So here's the thing. Uh, Hannah, you had mentioned that you know, resiliency is an individual's capacity. So to be resilient, somebody has to have a sound starting point. You know, resilience has that sense of bouncing back. It's, it's what your capacity is. You have to have that, that starting point. Job's character is clearly laid out in Scripture as godly, full of integrity, wise, and righteous. He stood for something very, very significant. So when we look at that, what we want to do is take Job's experience and, 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 and kind of go through parts of his story and then say, what about me? What about me? Do, what, you know, what did Job stand for? He stood for the righteousness of God. Well, what do I stand for? Well, and that's the problem, because in order to be resilient, you need, resilient, you need a baseline. You need to know what you're going back to. And if you don't have the what's going back to in a very firm, very solid, very wide path, it's going to be very difficult and you're going to be fluctuating back and forth and back and forth and you're going to be more susceptible to burnout and and other issues. So um, to cope with burnout, we really need to figure out what our core values are and be able to stick to them. And so that, again, that's another mirror question. What are my core values? Because if you've got something significant behind you, to bounce back to it is a much stronger response than bouncing back to, I don't know what I'm, I'm about. Okay. And we're going to see this in the story of Job. Now, we're not going to go through a lot of details. We'll save that, Julie, for when we go through the life of Job. But for now, we're going to sum up. God allows Satan to seriously test Job beyond his or our imagination. So, you know, in this story, Satan is talking, and God says, hey, my servant Job, he's really, really faithful. And Satan says, yeah, not really. So that's kind of the backdrop of the story. A couple of lines from Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. In rapid fashion, Job's sons and daughters are killed, and all his flocks are driven away by his enemies. Finally, Job himself is stricken with a terrible skin disease. In his sorrow, he now sits on a mor- he sits mourning on an ash heap, scraping his sores ugh, with a piece of pottery while he laments his misfortune. And I was reading one of the commentaries, and it says about this. Let me back up. Everything is happening to Job. 
these scriptures, you know, you, we really need to sit and read this because even if you've read it before, read it again, because um, everybody like the calamity befalls him and a servant comes and says, okay, I'm the only one left. <laughs> Everyone is gone. Everything is gone in, in this quadrant of your, of what you own. And then a few minutes later, it seems like another servant comes up and this happens, what, three or four times. Yeah. And it's always, I am the only one left. And so out of this massive wealth and this massive, beautiful family he had, all that's left is like three or four servants and burning ash heaps. It's ridiculous. And one of the, one of the commentators said this, Satan tempts by breaking the link between righteousness and blessing, trying to expose Job as a fraud. Did Job love the gifts, but not the giver? Was he quote religious and quote good because it pays? And that was this deal that Satan struck with God is Job is doing great. Of course he's righteous. Sure he loves you. You've given him everything. He is not lacking a thing. So let's take that all away and I'll show you that Job is no good. And that's where the challenge comes. And all of these things come to Job, not because he did anything wrong, but because Satan wanted to prove God to God that Job was not what he said he was. So you've right. got this experience unfolding, and I will tell you, you know, when you read the commentary, scraping his swords with a piece of pottery, he should have called Hannah. Is what he should have, <laughs> it's what he should have done. She would have helped him out instead of the piece That's of pottery. True. For sure. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. All of these things happen. How does Job himself respond? Okay, well, we know that Job has resiliency. We know that he's a righteous man, so he's going to respond in the way we... I, I wouldn't have responded, but the way that we would expect this righteous man in the Bible to respond to this calamity of his life. This is pretty amazing. So listen to Job 1, 20 to 22. So all these bad things have happened to him, right? Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. I really like this response. You know, I wish I could say this, you know, when calamities come upon me. But looking at his response, you can see that there is really no spirit of rebellion. You know, he was in the right heart condition. And most importantly, he was able to really guard his heart and his lips to only say things that were blessed. And I think the implication for us as Christians is that we should, like Job, realize that everything that we have is the Lord's blessing bestowed upon us, whether great or small. These are all gifts from the Lord. And so by seeing everything as a blessing and counting our blessings, we come to a greater appreciation of those things. You know, and it's, again, you're right, and it's very, very eloquently put, but when you realize the man lost everything, he essentially has three servants and his wife left out of everything. And he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job's initial response to the trauma and tragedy is shocked. He's bewildered and he's faithful. And that's what you see as his resilience. That, that is the key. That's the core of the man Job. It has been shown to us. So now, and Julie, you already kind of gave the idea of, well, you know, it's not how I would react, and I don't think that's uh, yeah. how I would initially react either, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, so, so the question is, folks, when we look at the story of Job, the question we have to ask ourselves, how do I respond? 
Well, resilience responds. Again, that resilience word is so important by claiming and clinging to that which what we already know to be precious. So we have to have that underlying uh, foundation in place already. So our response is dependent on what we claim as precious and valuable in our lives. So folks, take a look at yourself, because if you don't have anything that fits into that category, when trial and difficulty comes, you're going to get caught flat-footed. You're going to get caught not being able to find your feet, and that's not what you want. Uh, Julie, let's look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, in terms of this resilience. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You know, this reminds me of uh, Joshua 24, 15. You remember how that ends? It's, you know, you can serve this God and you can serve this God, but as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And that's the, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So that is, should be the basis for Christian resilience. We're all going to come across times when we approach burnout, whether we actually get there or not, it's not relevant. What matters is we all get tried to a point where we wake up one day, Hannah, like you did, and we say, wait, what's happening to me? I am not myself. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I'm not feeling, I'm not being what I'm supposed to. Something is wrong. So what we want to do, and, and our kind of our theme throughout this podcast is going to be, how do we break the bonds of burnout? So, so Julie, sum this up, what we've seen so far with the very beginnings of the story of Job. To know who we are and what we truly stand for gives us a foundation upon which to stand. And the stronger the foundation, the easier the battle against burnout. Know who you are, know what you stand for, and know why you stand there. And you do that when life is going well, so that when it doesn't go well, you've got something to lean on. You know, it seems like for many of us, burnout is coming. It's probably a good idea to be aware of what drives us. What changed Job that sent him the wrong way? We're rolling out new series content this year. Multiple episodes on one topic over consecutive weeks, such as what do we do when the Bible seems to contradict itself? Go to ChristianQuestions.com and search for Bible Contradictions to see the full series of episodes and stay tuned for more new episodes and more new series releases at ChristianQuestions.com. You know what? Here, burnout gets tricky. We can know all the right answers and respond in all the right ways, but it's the unknown variables that can creep up and sabotage us. In Job's case, this variable was outside influence. The tricky part was that the influencers were true friends who meant well. True friends who meant well. So we're going to develop that uh, very, very shortly. But first, let's go back to the story about this, this, this abandoned infant, and just watch the response of these hardened, professional, tough people who were called upon to rally around the life of this little, little, tiny, tiny infant who literally is clinging to, to, to the edges of life, and it didn't look good for quite some time. The woman who found the baby didn't know what to do said Fitzmorris. They were scared, but they cared more about that baby than whether they were getting involved. The umbilical cord was white, 
There was no blood in it, and that's bad. The first fireman didn't find a pulse. The boy was as cold as a stone. So we started working the baby and let the hospital know we're coming in with an infant cardiac arrest. When we got there, well, that's when you ask for help. And that kid was like Jake Malata. He just kept fighting. Fitzmorris is pugnacious. And a fighter, too. A real one. A boxing aficionado who can throw a mean left to the body and follow with a left hook to the head. Years ago, a baby left in the trash would have driven him into a dark rage. I know because I've seen it. You know, Hannah, that the, the, the drama of that story reminds me of the drama of your job. You just, you know, you, you have things that come and you just, you know, well, what do you do? So talk just for, for a moment. Talk to us about the, the idea of dealing with burnout and dealing with peers around you who may be well-meaning. Have you ever had the experience where well-meaning didn't actually get you well? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, I liked in that story how he talked about, you know, before it would drive him into a dark rage. And I think that there are things sometimes that our peers can do that can um, exacerbate that dark rage or bring out things in us that aren't really Christ-like when we're in a stage of burnout. Um at the most extreme end, you know, those sorts of things, you know, friends can suggest, well, to go out and to, you know, partake in alcohol or even drugs. And those things are really on the extreme of really exacerbating that. On the other end, the more lighter things that well-meaning peers may do that probably everybody runs into is do some, some things like, you know, complaining about the job or venting or, giving out criticism, you know, and while these things may seem harmless, they aren't things that a Christian should be engaging in. And actually, while the venting and frustration of your job and talking about these things may make you feel better for the moment, later on, you kind of feel like you've let yourself down because you're not saying those things with your lips that are building up and that are constructive. You're only kind of exacerbating and adding to the problem. So in a professional environment, that can easily happen. In a biblical environment, that can also easily happen. So, Julie, let's go back to the Job story. Again, a few more lines from Nelson's Illustrated Bible Dictionary as it sort of paints the picture of what happens to Job next that actually angles him toward burnout. This is when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, arrive to mourn with him and to offer their comfort. But instead of comforting Job, these friends launch into long lectures and philosophical debates to show Job the reason for his suffering. Their line of reasoning follows the generally accepted view of their time that misfortune is always sent by God as punishment for sin. And Job argues just as strongly that he is an upright man who has done nothing to deserve such treatment at the hand of God. And that ends the quote. But You know, again, I encourage everyone to go ahead and read or reread this book of Job because I kind of feel bad for these three friends. You know, they started out really well, right? They first come to Job and for the first seven days after the tragedy, you know what they did? Nothing. They sat with him. They sat quietly and they just mourned with him and they were just supportive of him. And I think that's actually a beautiful thing that we can do too when someone is, is experienced trauma. But after that, they did what they, they tried to reason. Why is it that this is happening to you, Job? And 
through what they learned was that at, at that stage, that is how God dealt with people. You know, if you obeyed and you were righteous, you received physical uh, rewards. If you were less than, you would, you know, perhaps calamity would befall. So they were just trying to make it stop. Yeah. You know, they weren't bad people. They right. were just trying to get Job to admit, hey, whatever you did, atone for it and be done and move on and get all your stuff back. You're right, right. And so you're right. And that's a really important theme is they they wanted to help. They came right. to help. They gave up their time and their emotions and their presence to help, but they ended up not helping. They started out great, like you said. So we're going to, there's these three friends, and we're just going to drop in on one of Job's responses to each of these three friends. And each of these responses has a slightly different perspective from Job. Now they're telling him, Job, you must have done something wrong. Just admit it so you can get your life back. And, you know, Job would essentially say, no, actually, I really didn't. I've been living faithfully. Come on, Job. You can tell us. Of course, we're paraphrasing. You and I both know something had to go wrong. God wouldn't do this to you. And he kept saying, no, no, you don't understand. I didn't. And so this is going on, and Job is getting frustrated. So as we look at, at, at Job, we want to take a Job in, in dealing with Eliphaz. Is, this is Job's view of his own traumas. Now, after being counseled, Job can now suddenly, he's not, you know, thinking of the righteous God. He's just seeing now the crushing weight of his experience. And his first response to Eliphaz is found in Job 6, 2 to 5. And we're going to read this out of the New Living Translation. You know, a lot of the scriptures we read out are New American Standard, but we're going to go to New Living because we just want to hear the story. This is so hauntingly poetic that it really gave me goosebumps when I first read it. He said, if my misery could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. And this is why I spoke impulsively for the almighty has struck me down with his arrows. Their poison infects my spirit because God's terrors are lined up against me. Don't I have a right to complain? <laughs> wow, what a difference between first Job before right. Eliphaz started harassing him. Well, and again, Eliphaz is trying to help him. He's really genuinely trying to help, and this is where Job is, okay? And so his view of his own trauma was that God is shooting me with poison arrows. God is poisoning me. He's drawing me to a slow and painful death. This is what he's, he's feeling, and so you see that this, this well-meaning friend was not accomplishing what he needed to. So Job's view of his own traumas was that, you know, okay, I'm confused about, about God. So let's look at ourselves. Again, let's look in the mirror, put ourselves in Job's place with our own experiences. What is my view of my own traumatic burnout experience? Well, we want to ask ourselves, do we fixate on the weight of the experience or on the weight of God's providence in the experience. And I think the, uh, the perspective, you boy, Rick, you use the word perspective all the time. <laughs> I want to say literally all the time, but I don't like to say literally. Um, <laughs> but literally all the time you use the word perspective. And it is a matter of fixating on what it is that you are, where, where are you going to go with it? Is it going to be on how awful this is that's happening to me and God will get farther and farther and farther away from me with that. Or is it, what is God's providence in this experience? So am I fixating on ruin or resilience? I mean, that's really right. what we've got to be looking at. Okay, good scripture for this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not do what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Hmm. You know, this reminds me, there's a there's a friend that all of us have that, you know, she said that she never had a trial in her life. But if you looked at her life from the outside, you saw nothing but trials. She had a husband who was handicapped. She herself had cancer. She had opened her home to people who were in need. And so from the outside, it looked like she had a lot of trials. But she said in her mind that everything that was happening to her was God's will. And if it was happening to her, it was God's will, and she wanted it to be her will too. And that for me is just, it was a just really, I would love to have that perspective for every trial in my life. And, and that is, that is a, a very dramatic perspective, but it, it shows us very, very plainly that that's what resilience can bring you because that's what her true core values were, and that's what we want to be able to deal with here. Okay, so Job's, one of Job's responses to one of his friends, Eliphaz, was what we just talked about. Now we're going to go to another one of his responses to his friend, Bildad. And again, Bildad is saying, Job, come on, you did something wrong, just admit it, let's get over it. And so Job is getting frustrated, and so here, after Bildad's speech, if you will, what's Job's view of God's perspective? Well, this is in Job 9, 22 to 23. And again, we're going to be reading out of the uh, New Living Translation. And he says this, innocent or wicked, it's all the same to God. That's why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a plague sleeps, sweeps through, he laughs at the death of the innocent. And um, let me give you a little more. In Job 9, 29 to 31, he continues and says, whatever happens, I will be found guilty. So what's the use of trying? Even if I were to wash myself with soap and clean my hands with lye, would, you would plunge me into a muddy ditch and my own filthy clothing would hate me. <laughs> wow, what a, what, a, what, a, what a vision of that. Um, so, but it seems like he's getting almost more manic. You know, now he's like, you know, God's gonna do anything he wants and God even laughs at the deaths of the innocent. And that is just the farthest from the truth. And we all know that Job knew better. But his friends are pressing him. Job, admit what you did. And he's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. And the frustration is overwhelming him. So his view of God's perspective became warped. It became, and, it's, and it's his spiritual burnout because he's getting right. farther and farther right. away from God. And he's obviously not getting better as a result of that. So we look at Job's view of God's perspective and we see that he, he's seeing God in all the wrong ways. Let's put the mirror up. What's my view of God's perspective in my own burnout experiences? Under the weight of overwhelming trial, we sometimes do lose sight of the might, mercy, and mission of God in our lives. Sometimes we lose sight of those things that are most important. Andrew, let's go to Hebrews twelve eleven. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Yeah, you know, for this, personally, you know, I just have to understand 
for myself when I'm in these situations, I have to know that God's ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts than my thoughts. And I always need to remind myself that affliction is not a sign of God's disapproval and prosperity is not a sign of his approval. And even if we feel slighted in life's experiences, we shouldn't be misrepresenting God's justice because we know that he uses that chisel of adversity to produce in us the reward of a steadfast character through our trials. Okay, so it's really important to understand that having abundance is not necessarily the blessing of God, and having trial is not necessarily the cursing of God. We need those experiences. That's what that Hebrew scripture told us. So we need to, to step up our pace just a little bit, ladies here. Um, Job's. Let's go to the third friend, and one of Job's responses to his third friend, Zophar, and this is Job's view. We had Job's, Job's view of his own trauma. We've had Job's view of God's perspective. Now we're going to look at Job's view of God's attentiveness. And this would be Job 21, 4, 7 to 14, and 18. My complaint is with God, not with people. Oh, boy, this went off the rails fast, didn't it? <laughs> I have good reason to be so impatient. Why do the wicked prosper, grow old and powerful? Well, they live to see their children grow up and settle down, and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear, and God doesn't punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves and never miscarry. Well, they let their children frisk around like lambs. Their little ones skip and dance. They sing with tambourine and harp. They celebrate to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, and then they go down to the grave in peace. And yet they say to God, go away. We want no part of you in your ways. Are they driven before the wind like straw? Are they carried away by the storm like chaff? Not at all. <laughs> You're right. This one went off the rails. You know, it's like, well, the wicked get whatever they want and nothing ever goes wrong in their lives. And seriously, how many times do we do that? We yeah. see somebody that is that we know they did wrong. We know they did evil, but their life is they're living in this great little house, doing all these wonderful things with their wonderful family. And why wouldn't God punish them like he's punishing me? Air quote. Yeah. And, and Job fell into that exact scenario because his friends who were trying to do good by him, just were pushing him into this place of frustration. So he saw God's attentiveness as, oh, so you're just letting all the evil people get everything they want, and me? Look at it, you're skewering me with poison arrows. You know, so he, he's missing the entire point. Now, again, put the mirror up. When we deal with our experiences, our burnout experiences, what's my view of God's attentiveness? All right, so we have to ask, do I view God's attention to me and my experiences as harsh or even careless, or do I see my experience as within the control of my loving Father? And this goes back to God's providence. And let, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, just read verse 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? You know, for this... Anytime I think of the Lord's attentiveness, you know, we know that the Lord does not sleep or slumber. You know, it says that the very heads of the hairs of our head are numbered. You know, today as a medical professional, I could say that for our almighty God, even the very cells of our body are numbered. So we shouldn't think that at any point that he is inattentive or not caring for us the way that we would like him to. The problem is that when we get into that burnout scenario, we fall into that place and suddenly we're blaming instead of seeing the beauty of his character. So we really have to work on breaking the bonds of burnout in this scenario. So Julie, let's wrap this segment up. 
The way we see our burnout experiences depends on how we process the input we receive. Sympathy is not a solution. How broad, godly, and open-minded are the sources that we most trust? And sympathy is not a solution is a very strange burnout bond breakage. What does that mean? <laughs> well, look, it's good to have sympathy, and we need sympathy when we are in that burnout scenario. But don't take the sympathy of well-meaning individuals and use it as the stepping stones for actually healing. Because oftentimes the simply sympathy is saying, "Yeah, man, you 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 deserve you deserve to be angry and upset and 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 broken, and they did you wrong." And and that's not going to help heal anything. So sympathy is wonderful because it helps us and encourages us, but the solution has to come from the resilience of going back to what drives our individual character, and it should be godliness. So think twice before going along to get along with those who mean well. What, do you want agreement or answers? Being careful with the advice we take is one thing, but what can we actually do to alleviate burnout? If you love our podcast, show us some love on social media. Search for our handle at CQ Bible Podcast, or just search for Christian Questions on Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter. Now back to our discussion. While the question of action is the most important question, it could not have been appropriately addressed until we put whatever outside influences we're receiving into their proper place. Any action that is not focused and filtered may too easily contribute to the problem and not the solution. Let me repeat that. Any action that's not focused and filtered may too easily contribute to the problem and not the solution. It's too easy to engage in an action that is not productive but just feeds the frustration. And Hannah, you were, you were telling us about that with your experiences previously. So let's go w one last time to the story about this child, uh, this, this infant, this newborn who had been abandoned, and these professionals, these hardened, hardened first responders who rallied around this, this, this tiny, tiny, tiny infant, brought this infant into the hospital and contributed to the saving of this tiny, precious life. But when he talked to reporters about this the other day at a news conference, I heard the Chicago Fire Department's message of compassion from tough Pat Fitzmorris. A message about not judging the young mother. A message asking other young women in a similar situation to bring their infant to a firehouse instead. And no questions would be asked and no judgments made. You know me. I've got Irish Alzheimer's. I forget everything but a grudge, Fitzmorris said. But I've been going back to church, and I was thinking about the young woman, the mom, desperate. We don't know what went on with her. I'm this way now. Let God judge. When Fitzmorris was a kid on the job years ago, he answered a call from a woman whose children had died. She'd scalded them both with cauldrons of boiling water. She had this thousand-yard stare in her eyes, and I thought, God will someday explain this to me. I almost quit. And the other day, in the ER with a baby, I said, God, if you don't save this one, I'm done. It'll be my last day. But he lived. Death wanted him. But this day, God said no. He just said no. 
you know, I've had to I've had to listen to that and read it uh, in preparation for this program to get that that soundbite ready. And I'm telling you, every time I hear that last one, tears come to my eyes because it's just you can hear that in his voice, and it's just so sad what goes on in this world. And and there 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 is so much evil, especially with you know, there's a lot of fear going on with the coronavirus that's happening right now, and there's so much going on that Satan has control of, but. God has greater control of it all, and we have to trust in that. Absolutely. What I what I really like about this this story is this sort of transformation that we see, you know, in in this main character that you know he's come through this you know very dark experiences and these very dark places, and at the end he's able to say, you know. I'll let God be the judge. He's come to a place of acceptance and perspective and compassion and proper coping with the trials that, you know, accompany this type of work. And so for me, this is a really excellent story of that transformative power that you can have when we see that he was going back to church and putting God in the center of his life. And, you know, and that was the key. He found something to be able to bounce back to that was bigger than he was. So, Julie, let's get back to the story of Job. Okay, so after all the commiserating and all these accusations and all the arguing and the support and the anger and soul-searching and tears, finally Job is ready to see clearly. And, and this is a huge, huge turnaround because this was the part where Satan was saying, you know, God, I've got Job, because if you just do all this, you're going to have, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to turn him. But here, God confronts Job, and we'll see what happens to Job. So if I can just read Job 38, 1 to 5. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by me without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it. And that is just the beginning. Those are just the first questions that God asks of Job. And what God is doing is saying, I'm mighty, you're not. And it's time you look at this. And he, you know, it says, now gird up your loins like a man. Okay. Put on your big boy pants. That's is that ex- what he's saying. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. That he's saying, him, put on your big boy pants because we're going to talk about this and we're going to face what's happening. And so he goes through a couple of chapters of saying, Job, do you understand this? Do you understand that? Where were you? And 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 Job is seeing and he's actually getting the point. So now let's go. Um, you know, his response to God goes far beyond his advisors and is not only back home to a God-honoring attitude, which is what he started with, but now it's a deeply educated and humble God-honoring attitude. So the resilience worked, but the education of the faltering became vital because Job is now even stronger. Here's what he says, Job chapter 40, uh, verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. And once I've spoken, I will not answer. Even twice, I will not add nothing more. 
So Job's basically saying, I'll be quiet now. Because yeah, shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and, and, and he's right to do so because he is seeing life clearly, absolutely clearly. And, you know, to get that, you really do need to read all of Job 38 because God goes back and goes through all the different things of nature and all the, you know, all the creation and, and the, the, the scientific things that there's no way anyone in that time period could have known. But God imparted that onto Job. It's, it's just a beautiful chapter. And you can understand why Job was just like, yeah, OK, I got nothing. Yeah. I, I, I was off the path for a little bit, but now I'm going to come back. All right. And good. Well, you know what? You said I was off the path for a little bit. Now I'm going to come back. Jo- uh, Julie, lay, lay the groundwork for that as a picture, the idea of, this, the, of a pathway that we need to follow in terms of dealing with burnout. Well, you know, I just thought of this image that came to my mind about life being this pathway, but we have to lay the foundations of faith. And it's kind of brick by brick where we're laying these foundations of faith when things aren't quite as stressful. And you end up in order to get to the other side of an experience, you want to walk on this pathway and it's not, it's never straight, right? Right. Life is never straight. There's always things that you didn't expect, but the trick is don't veer off the path because this is your path of righteousness, your path of connection to God. And things might try to blow you off that path. And like Job's friends, they may try to entice you off of that path. But if you have built a firm foundation, you will not step off and God will deliver you to the other side. So we're going to give you, folks, we're going to give you five pieces of that pathway as we begin to wrap up this part one of our two-part series on burnout. And in part two, we're going we're gonna to refer back to these kind of as a basis for further examining and understanding and overcoming burnout. So our first piece of this pathway is don't own what is not yours. Your trauma, your circumstances, and your future all belong to God. Don't forget the future is not in your jurisdiction. It belongs to God's providence. We can't say what it will be. We need to let him take care of that. Matthew 6, 8. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I would just add to this and say, you know, it's okay not to know the path in front of you. You know, we know we are not always meant to understand all of God's dealings with us. But as you said, there is no place, no better place to be than in the hands of the Almighty God. There really isn't. There's no better place to be. And when we take steps, we need to take small steps. And God will always give us the next small step. What's beyond it? Leave that up to him. Don't own what's not yours. Okay, the second piece of this pathway is be responsible for your present. So you can't own what's not yours. You can't own the future, but you can be responsible for your present. And and this is really an important point because you want to think about what is the next right thing to do? And conversely, what's the next thing that you shouldn't be doing? And sometimes when an experience gets us, we get so overwhelmed, we just don't know which way to turn. And the answer is just take a baby step forward right? and, and figure out what is your next right thing. And good scripture for that, Julie, is Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance because it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. 
you know, and just to add to this, yeah, I think every day, you know, you can just go out there and make that decision to either I'm going to cultivate positivity in my mind, I'm going to count my blessings, or I'm going to let that criticism grow. And I'm going to start to be disgruntled and play into this burnout. So, you know, as you said, it's it doesn't have to be the big decisions. It can be a moment by moment, day by day, trying to just cultivate a better character as you're moving through this present time. You know, and as you you had told us your story before we got to the actual podcast, Hannah, we saw that, you know, you you made those choices in the middle of the difficulties and decided not to go down the easy path. But to go up the hill that's on the path that says, I got to get to higher ground. And, mm-hmm. and, and, that's, and that's, where, that's where overcoming is. That's how we can actually put burnout in its place. Okay, don't own what's not yours. Be responsible for your present. The third piece of this pathway, have concrete hope. And Hannah, you started out with that. Have concrete hope for the value of today's experience. You said something on a recent podcast that is just blows my mind. You said, chaos creates clarity. How can chaos create clarity, but yet it's true? Well, it creates clarity because it's in the chaos that all of the elements are displayed that need to be dealt with. And we often look at chaos and we say, oh, there's all this jumbled stuff. But if you can examine it and find the pieces you can then piece together where you need to go. Good scripture for this, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. And not only so, but we also boast in the tribulations, knowing that the tribulation doth work endurance, and the endurance experience, and the experience hope, and the hope doth not make us ashamed, because the love of God hath been poured from our, in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that had been given to us. And that is a translation. Young's literal translation. Young's literal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what I like about this is it's important to count, you know, count the victories as much as the defeats. You know, uh-huh. every time, you know, I think it's, you know, when we see the defeats, we only see what we've lost, but we don't see, as we've talked about, that character building experience underneath. So, again, making sure to balance both of those in our mind and keep a very good perspective. It's so easy to dwell on the defeats and not count the victories, but they are more important because they bring us out of the the, the mire of the burnout that just sucks the life out of us and then sucks the life of, out of everybody around us as well. Not a good place. Okay, don't own what's not yours. Be responsible for your present. Have concrete hope for the value of today's experiences. The fourth piece of this pathway, humbly accept the present with all of its hurt and all of its harm as in the hands of immortal wisdom. In the hands of immortal wisdom. And again, let's go back to Job now, the end of the book of Job. This is powerful. Job 42, verses 1 to 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? And that's him speaking of himself, repeating what God had said to him earlier in Job 38. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful to me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak and I will ask you, And you instruct me. This is Job talking to God. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. You know, and 
while we're, you know, accepting all of this, you know, hurt and harm of our present experiences, we need to remind ourselves that, you know, for the for the followers of Christ, we're given exceeding great and precious promises. And these are really the basis of our faith and they help to fuel us and energize us, you know, when we are in these trying hours, you know, Jesus gave a lot of promises to his followers, to those who believe in him. You know, we can use those while we're in this situation and claim them for ourselves. And, and Job's response is he has seen God with his eye. He had always heard him. And but see, so his resilience, he went back to what he knew, and now he's more mature. So all of this tragedy has actually built his strength. And he says, and I see you, and I therefore retract and repent in dust and ashes, and you see the character of Job right where it started, only stronger, only better, only more godly. This is a man who sees what he needs to do. The final piece of the pathway for today's podcast, part two is coming next week. Pray not only for God's guidance for your own experience, but also for the experiences of others. Step outside of yourself and see others. God actually tells Job to do that. And again, Julie, last scripture for our podcast today, Job 42, verses 7 through 9. It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. And I might add, and Satan lost. (laughs) Good. Hannah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, we're told to encourage each other and build each other up into into good works and, you know, to try to just encourage one another to do, you know, more loving and good deeds. And, you know, again, it's hard when you yourself are burned out, but there's always a little part of us that can try to help somebody else in that situation. You know, and the power of prayer is enormous. And to get outside of yourself and pray for others, and, and I find it fascinating that God says to Job, pray for your friends, and your prayer will deliver them. How ironic is that, that God gives Job the right thing to deliver them from God's actual anger when they were trying to deliver Job from their, their thought of God's anger. It's just, it's just such an incredible, incredible story. Julie, what's our final point on breaking the bonds of burnout? Burnout can be burned out if only we reset our foundation, find godly counsel and input, seek God's will, and daily and deliberately act in accordance with all of these things. Daily and deliberately act. And folks, it comes small step by small step. That's just the way it works. Hannah, any final comments as we close? I would just give the words of encouragement that were given once upon a time to me, and that is very simply, Christian, never give up. Hannah, thanks so much for being with us and sharing an incredible story, uh, the incredible professionalism of what you've, you've dealt with in your life and the things that you do to help people, and most importantly, the Christian insight to look at your own life and say, something's wrong, 
I need to change and to seek God's will and God's way in making that change. It is so helpful, folks, to see the real-life experience of somebody who's been through it. Take heart in that experience. Apply it to your own life and realize that burnout can be beaten, but we have to be resilient toward God in a higher way, and we need to look for higher, stronger strength and faith and assurance and promises and prayer in God. Burnout is conquerable. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your, persp- your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Again, as we mentioned, coming up next week, How Do I Avoid Burnout? Part 2. We'll be looking at the examples of a couple of other biblical characters who had incredible pressure on them and see how they fell and then stood up again. Talk to you next week.